I did it. Did you do it? Next thing you know, we're sharing. What? <laughs> I, I like. Never mind. <laughs> we were just talking about our our uh, conjoined. Is that the right word? Conjoined love and share. Uh, yeah, I suppose. No, I didn't mutual, re- not conjoined. So I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize that's what we were talking about, but yeah, that's what we're talking about now. I don't know. Welcome to the podcast about our mutual love of share. Uh, welcome to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name Including is David. Cher. My friend is Cher- Sharon. No, Aaron. <laughs> Aaron is my friend. We're, you're in a mood tonight, I feel. I mean, oh, you were in a mood just, last... I'm past, I'm past my prime, so I'm just trying to prick myself up here. And... <laughs> Are you past your prime or past your bedtime? Doesn't matter. Both. You're, you're past something, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, Welcome. I, I don't and remember. I'm your friend, I, Yeah, I said that part. I was gonna, Yeah. I was going to talk about you talking about butts last time, because you did talk about butts right off the oh, start. Just a little bit, not just too much. Just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, we we're going to talk about um I mean they're not I would it's they're not an unknown band but the last like kind of run of bands that we've done with Lifetime and then Saves the Day and then um the Ataris and stuff the undecided who we're going to talk about definitely you know kind of lesser known out of all of those bands so we're going to get into them a little bit uh talking about I think they only had two proper releases yeah. two proper albums they did do a demo and stuff but um before we get into that I had to share like a really kind of, I guess, share, f- share. I guess a funny, <laughs> weird story. Um, uh, hold on. Todd just texted me. <laughs> oh, Todd, get off our show, man. Todd, I think my, I think my child is babysitting his child tonight or children, I should say, but hold on, hold on. This is, this is invigorating stuff. Uh, what is her phone? He's like. I feel like he should have this. Seeing as she's babysitting. Okay. All right. We get it. Did I send it? Did I send it? It's always good to have your babysitter's contact info, you know? So my, where were we? My babysitter is <laughs> my oldest daughter, so. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that, that's fair. Um, <laughs> the undecided. Oh, I was going to tell you a funny story. And it, it, yes. it almost involved Todd, actually, too. But by the way, um, I, I don't need to fill people in on who Todd is, I guess. We've brought him up before on the show. Uh, but my my wife FaceTimed me earlier today. She'd mentioned something a little bit earlier about uh, the key not really working in the van door um, and having issues with it. And then, like, it was, it was working kind of poorly. And then she calls me today, and she's like, it's not working at all now. I can't get the key into the door. And so two things. One, we only have the one key. Uh, to get into the vehicle, we've only ever had the one when we bought the the van used. That's all they had. And two, the fob no longer works to like uh-huh. unlock the doors. Right? We haven't used it for ages. Uh, so I get home and I'm like trying to figure it out. I'm like, well, maybe it's jammed or maybe something. I think the actual thing is broken in the end. But uh, it was kind of funny because I decided to try the fob, the remote, because I saw it. It was hanging up on our little like key rack thing. So I grabbed it, put a new battery in it. And uh, it doesn't work, but for whatever reason, when I pressed it once, it did work. Like oh. this one time I saw the lights flash and the driver's side door unlocked. So I was like, perfect. I can get into the van. Now the problem, the only problem is, is that if we lock the van, we're back into this situation again. And no matter how many times I tried 
the fob again, it wouldn't work. So it was like just this one, it had, it had one last gasp in it. Um, and it, and it opened, but so I'm like, okay, well, what do I do in the meantime? Because obviously we got to get it in to get looked at and whatever, right? But I want to be able to use the van and I'm worried if we accidentally lock the van. Because if you just push the driver's side lock down, it auto locks all the, all oh. the doors. So <laughs> I'm out there jerry-rigging a, uh, a setup to tape the one, like the passengers <laughs> or the driver's side, like back door so that the lock doesn't go down. And so it's not obviously one of, cause they're kind of like on the side of the door. So it's not one of the obvious, like you look in the front window and see it's unlocked. Right. So that someone can just like open the door. Um, but so now you can lock all the doors, except that one won't lock. So to get into the van, you have to open the back door to open the front door. Wow. But, uh, in the, hopefully, you know, it, it does the trick for now and the tape doesn't give out at any time unexpectedly. So then all of a sudden you're locked out again. But, um, so that took over a good chunk of my evening. And so everything else from that point on was just like a rush to get ready for, you know, to do this, to, yeah. to do the talky talk that we're going to do. Well, let me share a, a happier piece of news. Slush. I mean, this is, this wasn't particularly sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I think if you, you get, you're going to be somewhere someday, just like in a Russia <laughs> with the kids or yeah, get locked you know, out. whatever, and you're going to get locked out. That's when I'll like, call Todd. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there you go. You got you to yeah. in with him. Um, so last week, I think it was, you had texted you were like thrifting for shirts or something. And so then I was asking like what would be the ultimate shirt to find right. at a thrift store. We were talking yeah. about shirts we'd found. Anyways, long story short, I said is like, oh, because I, I think maybe you mentioned face-to-face. And I was like, oh, I used to have a cool face-to-face yeah, shirt. Yeah. So anyways, right after that, I went and ordered a face-to-face shirt that came in the mail today. So. Oh, exciting. That's <laughs> so awesome. I finally have a face-to-face shirt again. Yeah. And also with that, I ordered some CDs. It was from uh, People of Punk Rock. Yeah. And much to my disappointment, they do not have booklets in them. Oh. Like none, none of – there was a few few albums from them, like They're all just, new ones. Yeah. And it's just, I was like, what, what's the point of having a CD without a yeah. liner or booklet in it? So, so it's just like a single page, like insert? It's uh, or are they all just like the the kind of the cardboard cases? Yeah, just the cardboard. Yeah. So I got a uh, new Too Bad Eugene. So it yeah. just kind of just has that. I was like, do I have to rip this thing in half to get liner notes? <laughs> How do I get into this thing? <laughs> yeah, but, um, know, I got that in the new Downstater album. And nice is it? That was so, on, is that on People of Punk Rock? Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking. I was like, there's an album recently I've been listening to, uh, and I was like, what was it? It was on People of Punk Rock. That's definitely what it was. Um, that's funny because like that is one of the things about buying vinyl that kind of annoys me sometimes is when I get something in the mail or whatever and I you know I open it up and it's like oh there's literally like either nothing in it like it's just the record in a paper sleeve oh, and that's I it vinyl always would have had at least a one sheet sometimes most of the time you do get a one sheet there's the odd one where you like I've gotten literally nothing like i think yeah, send it I, back i think one of my further seems forever records maybe is literally just the record with the paper sleeve mm. and that's it like no lyrics no nothing but then sometimes you get just like absolute gems where you like open it up and it's got like a full magazine in it like yeah um, well, those are the best yeah like my for the rejected by the rejected so that's a battery record it came and it's got like a full glossy like hmm. story of the band and whatever and actually you're talking about thrifting and kind of digging and stuff like that the other day i went on father's day uh i went and did a little uh, digging for some music and i came away with this uh record 
it's a compilation, like a hardcore compilation called All Systems Go. And I think it came out in either, it looks like everything was recorded in like 98, 99. So maybe it came out late 99 or in 2000. Um, but anyway, inside it is, so you pull the record out, it's just in a paper sleeve, but then there's like a full on like book that's probably like, mm. you know, um, a fair size. And so for each song, cause it's a compilation of covers for each song, it kind of, it either maybe has the lyrics and who it was originally by or a little story, why each band it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, pretty awesome. rad. And then I also found um, Tragic Kingdom by No Doubt on uh, cassette, which I was like, that's pretty sweet. You found so, that at a thrift store? Uh, no, or sorry. No, both both a... of those were at a music store, but like oh, in okay. like used sort of stuff, right? Like yeah. digging through oh, the used sweet. bins, which is mostly like, um, you know, a lot of like 80s, say like Tom Cochran <laughs> tapes, oh, yeah. stuff like that. Oh, man, uh, life and then is when a I, highway. Get it going. Yeah, yeah. But then when I got to like the, <laughs> I was like the, the bottom of the shelf, I was like, no doubt, Tragic Kingdom. I was like, that's pretty awesome. And then it was also like cheaper than the rest of the tapes. And I was like, oh, the cassette must be in horrible shape or whatever. And I opened up like, no, it looks fine. I think it was marked down because the case that it was in was like cracked. So I was like, I got... I got cases at home I can swap yeah. that into. So well, anyway, cool one. that was pretty good. But shall we get into talking about The Undecided? People do call them a younger version of No Doubt, so let's do it. Yeah, I've, I've heard that, you know, definitely, definitely. So <laughs> before we get into uh, the albums we're going to talk about, like I said, I'm pretty sure they just had two proper releases. They did have a demo before and all this stuff, but we're going to talk about their self-titled record as well as More to See, um, and we'll get into kind of each record. But before we do that, why don't we uh, kind of share some some first impressions or, you know, if you remember sort of first hearing the band or being introduced to them, I'm pretty sure... For myself, uh, it was Songs from the Penalty Box, Volume 3. I did some digging, um, and the song General Delivery was on that, and I know I had it, so I'm guessing that was my introduction to the band. I know for sure, like, General Delivery was the song that was, like, in my, you know, brain as, as like, the early undecided song. Yeah, it was, know? like, a demo version, too, I think, or something. It, it's possible. I don't, yeah, I didn't actually look to see i know they did have there was another songs from the penalty box i think where they had a demo of a song or a demo version of a song i can't remember if it was general delivery or not but um but yeah like that for sure was like what kind of introduced the band to me and then really i think kind of getting into them is when i would have seen they opened for dogwood at kind of like the first sort of like touring band show i ever went to um they're also an interesting band because I remember then seeing them live again at like a festival and I like, I went to this festival specifically for them. Like there weren't really any noteworthy bands that were playing, but the undecided were. So I was like, all right, let's go. Went with some friends. And I remember meeting, um, Matt, the singer. And I like walked up to him and shook his hand. I was like, oh, I'm so pumped to see you, whatever, blah, blah, shook his hand. And I was just like completely like set off or put off by his like dead fish handshake that he gave me. <laughs> I was like, what is this? And I, I don't, to this day, I love those. <laughs> yeah, to this day, I don't know if it was an intentional thing. If I, like, I was kind of thinking about it later when watching him perform, I'm pretty sure he's left-handed because he always held the mic in his left hand. Uh, uh, and so I was like, maybe he was right left-handed. Hand had no feeling, man. Yeah, Come and the right hand was please. just like not, there's no strength to it at all. But <laughs> um, those are often like the memories I kind of like think of. And also like 
obviously as a Canadian band being signed to Tooth and Nail. Like that was huge as a For kid sure. playing in punk bands who, you know, grew up on Tooth and Nail bands. It's like, oh, there's there is hope to get on, especially at that time, like what probably was my favorite label, right? Like to like get on that and then I mean that that really didn't lead to much of anything for that hope but it was there right like oh you mean a small canadian band from a small town can get signed to you know like a label like tooth and nail like that just blew my mind but um yeah what about you do you do you kind of have any early memories or remember you know kind of how you came across the band yeah well this one's a bit unique because there's probably not many bands that i knew kind of before before they got signed, at least at this age of life, but they were from, I mean, kind of collectively Winnipeg, but more so kind of small towns around Winnipeg, which was, you know, three hours from where I lived. I had lots of family in Winnipeg, and um, so I kind of, I was aware of them. I might have even seen them before they got signed at, like, a youth retreat or something, but, but yeah, remember hearing that they got signed, and it was just like, like you said, it was like, man, like a band I know was signed to, you know, in my mind was just like the biggest record label in the world. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was, that was super exciting. And I, I don't remember kind of between that and when the album came out or where I first bought it, but I mean, I listened to that album a ton and, and, uh, yeah, I loved it a lot. Yeah. Um, so should we, uh, let's get into it then, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. So oh, first, what about uh, the, yeah, the artwork? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, first up, we're going to talk about the self-titled record, which was like their their tooth and nail debut, 1999. It was released. And um, yeah, we'll get into the artwork as well as kind of overall impressions of the, the album before we get into the specific songs that we picked. So myself, I absolutely love this artwork. Um, I think it's a great you know, kind of like introduction to the band. Like it's, it's got a, a classic kind of like nineties punk rock, uh, you know, like cartoon crudely drawn cartoon sort of, sort of look. And I also like that. It's like a farmer on a tractor chasing the members of the band. Like it really does a great job. I think of introducing, you know, introducing the listener to the fact that this band is, you know, a small prairie town band essentially. Right. Cause I'm pretty sure like their base of operation as it were was Steinbeck. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, not everyone knows where that is, but, um, you know, like it's a, it's a prairie town in, in Manitoba, you know, kind of outside Winnipeg. But, um, and I, so I, I always just loved that sort of vision that it was giving off that image that it was giving off by, you know, the, the kids getting chased by the angry farmer and they all look like they would be in a pretty sweet, like MTV cartoon or something like that with yeah. the drawing style. <laughs> um, I also think like the typeface, the font is fantastic. I love the band logo. I love that the one, the first D in undecided is actually an upside down question mark. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's just great all around and uh, it's very memorable. Yeah. Yeah. I also as, as well enjoyed that style of artwork and yeah, it looked like well put together and um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Who, who did that? Like I, I think back then tooth and nail, didn't quite have like you know there one guy doing all the artwork or whatever so right. it's kind of cool that each one had a bit of its own feel or whatever but um yeah, yeah I, I still when i look at it i'm like oh, this is cool it stands out in my mind for sure the funny thing is i think that style of artwork um a is i, I want to say is coming back if it didn't ever go away like you know we talk about bands like no pressure and and normie is a band we brought up and stuff like that where you know kind of this just like in your face aggressive kind of cartoon 
uh, gnarly. Like, I don't know. It's, I think, I think it's coming back. Um, maybe it never went away, but also that wasn't necessarily like a style of artwork at that time that I was drawn to. Like, I don't know if at the time what I thought of that artwork, if I thought it was great, but now as an adult, you know, uh, what are we talking like 20 plus years later, almost 25 years later? Um, I think, I just think it's great. It's, it's memorable stands out. So good on them for that. Um, overall impressions of this record, I think for myself, uh, it's an album. It's like a time capsule to me. Um, but one that's aged pretty well, I don't put it on and just immediately go like, Oh yeah, this sounds like 1999 in a way it for sure does. But I think like production wise, it's still got, you know, sort of the things, maybe it's, it's not crystal clean by any means, but it has like all those kind of sounds that, um, I like to hear when listening to fast punk records. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I mean, for the, yeah, for the time too, I mean, it could have been a lot worse, you know, production wise, whatever. And I'm not sure yeah. if uh slow guitar player, John Paul Peters is, is still a, a record producer. Yeah. And, uh, I'd have to go back to, and look and see if he had his hand in it. I, I feel like he did or was like just getting started, but, sure. um, yeah. And what, what I love about this album is like, I'm guessing they had all the same kind of, influences of that era as we did but i feel mm-hmm. like this album like it does i don't put it on and just be like okay it just sounds like whatever no effects or right strung out or something like it it kind of has a unique style to it um i always kind of thought this album was just super fast from start to finish but as i was going back listening to it this week i was like oh there's actually quite a few mid-tempo songs and um, there's just cool, I mean, John Paul is such a good guitar player and I've got a few notes about that on mm-hmm. these albums, but it just, yeah, it's a bit different than, you know, just kind of your standard progressions and even if it's just kind of little riffs and cause I think, yeah, they only had the one guitar player. So, I mean, that in itself for this style is a little bit unique. So, yeah. um, yeah, lots of things. I also, I hadn't listened to this record in, in quite some time that I can remember, but um, it, you know, putting it on, it immediately reminds you of, uh, or me anyways, reminds me of why I enjoy it, why I like the record as much as I, you know, did back then. Um, like the, the opening song just kind of gets right to it and stuff like that, which we'll get into in a minute, but yeah, I don't know. There's, there's something, you know, about this record. It's interesting. Like you bring up the kind of sound of it. It is hard to kind of pinpoint why it feels set apart, but it definitely does, I think, feel a little bit set apart. And I don't know if that's because it's not like, it's not overly technical, uh, you know, musically, at least not like up front, like there, there, you know, there could be things that are happening that are maybe a little more subtle, but that are, you know, take, take a fair amount of technical prowess. But, um, I, you know, I can't identify that right away, <laughs> but, uh, but it does. So I don't know if like in the world of, if we're just going to stick to kind of like talking right now about like the tooth and nail counterparts of theirs, um, you know, in a world where you had kind of like slick shoes and Craig's brother who were maybe on that, like super tight, fast side of, you know, like the, the skate punk, the punk realm. And then you had like MXPX who was, you know, kind of on, especially by this point in time, kind of, you know, cause they're MXPX is on a major label at this point, but, um, you know, a little more clean, well-produced, but not always going a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, I think this record kind of like almost sits in between those where again, it's not super technical, 
um, I mean, it's tight, but not like it doesn't have that like super tight feeling to it to me that like say a slick shoes does, but then also it feels maybe more energetic across the board than, you know, an MXPX record. I don't know. It's, it, there is something for sure that I've tried to pinpoint over the years of listening to it where I'm like, what is it about this album that makes it feel different? Because I think we'll get into it, but I think they lose that a little bit going into the next record. But um, unless you have any more thoughts on maybe why it does feel a little bit different, I think we can jump into the first song. I, I think, honestly, a part is just the area that they're from. Like, you know, right. this come up a little bit, but... They recorded you know, it when, on the farm. Yeah, while a tractor <laughs> was chasing them. So yeah, exactly. you got to get this song done. That's but that just, energy. yeah, when yeah. you're in a small center, like I'm sure they like went to shows, whatever came to Winnipeg, but... You're you're drawing from lots of influence, but you're also drawing from kind of where you live, and maybe that's a bit broad. But you know, when there's bands, I think of like from California, where there's so much happening, and there, like there's yeah. a bit more crossover versus when you're kind of just on your own. You just I don't know. You just seem to kind of draw influences or ideas that are different yeah, yeah. because maybe you're just you're not exposed to all the same kind of stuff as every other band or. But I, I do feel like there is something to that. Yeah, I think I think it all boils down to the fact that The Undecided uh, was a band that was influenced heavily by Propagandy and Burton Cummings slash The Guess Who. <laughs> Just yeah. what's, what comes from there, and I have no idea. But uh, let's get into... So, so if you if you haven't tuned into the previous episodes, how we do this, we pick we're we're going to talk about three songs from each record, or so. I say or so because there is a little twist that's going to happen at some point. But we're going to talk about the opener, uh, then a song that one of us picked as kind of a favorite or standout for whatever reason, and then the closer. So um, we're going to start it all off with the the track that opens this album, which is called "A February Weekend." <laughs>
so you did the picking on this for this record. So I'll let you kind of take the lead with each song and then I'll kind of follow up if that works for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love this song as an opening, you know, just those, those hits with the floor toms going like just immediately, even remember maybe even started that song live, you know, back when, when I was seeing them and it just gets the energy going. Then when it just stops in that fast palm, mm-hmm. palm meeting, like those simple things, I mean, still, still get me when I hear those little things. I'm like, Oh yeah, I love that. You know, it's, it's fast, melodic, and catchy. Yeah, I love the guitar work on the song. Even just those those little clips that we just listened to now, even there, it's like, man, there's just some little parts in there that he just throws in on guitar that might just, you might not even, you might miss it because the yeah. song's not that long. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's fairly straightforward, but, you know, keeps the song moving and um, kind of sets up what's coming next so i am a fan of this opening track yeah you you kind of like covered it off for me like my notes i literally said solid opener the big shots and uh drum fills really make this feel like a song that would open a show so (laughs) whether or not they did i i you know uh because i'm guessing it was probably 99 2000 that i saw them um and so they they would have been this album i i can almost guarantee that yeah they opened with this song like i don't under i don't know if there's any other song on this album that would you know especially for a show that would match up to kind of the energy that this one brings out right right like right away i also do find it a little bit funny that you know we kind of mentioned there briefly about how um you know maybe they don't sound like no effects or whatever but that guitar riff that when it comes in and is like fast definitely reminds me of no effects um, and so maybe that's what it is, is like, they just do a really good job of kind of pulling different influences and making it into one sound as opposed to being like, oh yeah, this band just sounds like, you know, a no effects cover band or an MXPX cover band, slick shoes, Pennywise, whatever, like, you know, pick and choose your bands. Maybe it's just that they do. Cause I, I did take note of that on, on their next record at one point where it really feels like they're pulling things from different areas and, and you can kind of pick up on them. So maybe... You know, maybe that's kind of what what sets them apart a little bit. Uh, this song has a great chorus, uh, super catchy, and I love the like melodic octave that comes in to back it up yeah. on the guitar. Like um, John Paul Peters, like we'll talk about his guitar work quite a bit, I think, over the course of this episode yeah. because it does stand out. Like for sure, uh, you can't deny it, right? And um, yeah, so like this this song is, I think, an absolute like perfect opener for the album as far as the songs that are on it um which kind of like leads me into i sort of teased a little bit that we might have a little bit of a curveball so i'll throw it out there now because this is something that we kind of plan on implementing when appropriate and i think i think it's obvious at this point that it's not appropriate at this part but because we both kind of agreed but we are going to start talking about songs that we think might be a better opener on the records um, in this case, I think we both have agreed that this is out of the songs that are on this record. It is a great opener and it's the one yeah. that should, should kick off the show. So for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, go, going forward, we may have other songs that we discuss a little bit. So, uh, be looking forward to that. And you know, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're on, um, you know, you, you follow us on Instagram or whatever, you can also like, let us know if you think. You agree with us, disagree, whatever. You can find us and get in touch with us. We can talk. But as far as this album is concerned, there ain't no better opener on it. Cool? Super cool. Super cool. So with that, shall we get into the next song? Yeah, let's do it. It's uh, Money Buys Democracy. A fantasy of a perfect world. 
for my English class we had to pick a Canadian artist to do a project on yeah and uh, I picked the undecided I think everybody <laughs> else just kind of picked like I don't know tragically Moist. hip or yeah oh yeah and there was probably some of that but um and so I mean I was I was super excited for that so I, I made this like cool like looking zine thing that had all the information that I mean it was pretty much just directly from their website or whatever but yeah um so part of the project was playing a song for the whole class. So I was pretty excited to share an undecided song. And this is the song that I picked. I just love that opening the song with the palm muting and vocals to start. It always grabs my ears right away. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a lot of the songs in the album. It's, it's fast, melodic, and catchy. Now, lyrically, the song, you know, as I was listening to it even just today, I was like, man, it doesn't seem that far off from where we're still at in, in you know society today where... So many people are just kind of living for themselves, you know, just chasing money and greed, you mm-hmm. know, whether that's personally or the government or whatever. And uh, this is probably one of the more political songs in the album, which at that time I probably had no reference of. <laughs> um, but I just thought it was interesting um, as I was listening. I was like, man, it's it, this seems pretty relevant still for where we're at. I had that thought a few times, I think, with, with a couple of songs listening over the last few weeks with these records. Um, and, and I agree. Uh, first and foremost, I will say I do love how this is just like a straightforward like skate punk song that just gets going and doesn't you know kind of mess around. But what I, what I think is great about you know kind of the message in this song is, again, bringing it back to Tooth and Nail and you know kind of like their label mates and stuff, I do feel sometimes going back and listening to uh, some of these bands. um, And when they get into more of their social or political songs, I often get sitting there going, I wonder if they still, you know, believe this the way that they wrote it, Um, you know, as black and white, because, you know, there, there are some topics that I think like within the Christian scene that were like, um, 
you know, maybe looking at now going like, I don't know, as an adult, if I, you know, necessarily believe that I'm thinking, I'm thinking very specifically about one slick shoes song, uh, where I'm like, I wonder if as adults, they still believe as firmly as they do. Um, the song is by what right? I think is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so, but when I hear this song, like they're, they're talking about totally different topics. Uh, although I do feel that the undecided does touch on that same topic, uh, as by what right does in, you know, on the next record. But with this song, the thing I like about it is, and you kind of touched on it, is that it doesn't feel far off from today. And we're talking about a song from 1999, um, written by, you know, a, for lack of a better term, a Christian punk band. Um, and I think it aged just fine. Right. Like, which I, I think is great and, uh, isn't always the case. So, um, yeah, good on them for that. And this, I think it's pretty funny because we kind of picked similar songs when it comes to the next record, as far as, you know, kind of topics are concerned with our, with the, the song that we, we each got to sort of choose, but, uh, yeah, this one, this one has always stood out to me as well. And I think it's because of the messaging behind it. It definitely, um, kind of stands on its own a little bit from, you know, sort of the rest of their, their catalog for the most part anyways, maybe not all of the rest of their catalog, but you know, it's, uh, I think it stands out, but, um, shall we get into the closer from this record? Let's do it. All right. So the last song on this record is called lost.
so real close, I will say this, or real close, real quick. Um, at the at the top of the song, he says, how do you cope with reality? And my first note is actually, how do you close out an 18-song album? I think that should have been his question. Uh, <laughs> not how you cope with reality, but how do you close out an 18-song album? Uh, anyways, go ahead with your thoughts. What, what were your... Uh, I mean, it wasn't that uncommon to have, I mean, even... You know that many songs or more on albums back then. I mean, Did the you time call me is a moron. Call me a moron. Did I? No. <laughs> He's eighteen songs or moron. Oh, or more. <laughs> come on, oh, come on. I albums. know Father's Day is already passed, but the the dad jokes they freely fly. Oh, I love it. I yeah. mean, the songs are still like two two and a half minutes on here. Yeah. I mean, Life in General has I think that many songs on it, and um, yeah, it wasn't that. I mean, now it's it's. Because of our um, accumulation of music and access to it, it's like okay, yeah. I don't know if I need eighteen songs, even if they're all good. But <laughs> yeah, um, so I mean, yeah, as far as a close, closing song when there's this many in this style, um, I mean, it's it's a good closing song. It's not necessarily anything super special, mm-hmm. um, but again, I like the the guitar progressions in this song. I feel like when albums have this many songs, especially in this style of punk, it's kind of hard to make. The songs sound different from each other, but yeah. again, I think John Paul does a good job of that. I mean, I like the the bass starting the song, and um, yeah, it's a good enough closer for me. It's um, I will say this: it's a it's an I do like the bass intro, um, and I do like the way they end the song as far as a closer is concerned. Like, yeah, kind of have this feels like a finale. Yeah. The only complaint I will make is kind of once he starts, like the verse comes in and the singing starts, it's really kind of like got this jittery, stuttery feel to the song that I can't quite like get into. Um, That sort of takes me out of the song a little bit, but I, you know, so as a closer, I think it's, it's fine. It is tricky. I think in the sense, like when you have 18 songs and spoiler alert, uh, an upcoming episode that we're going to be recording. I think one of the albums also has 18 songs, Yeah, but <laughs> so it was, it was a common thing as you mentioned, but I think when you've got 18 songs on a record, um, you could have done a similar intro and an end to the song on almost any song that maybe for, for my ear would have been better. If that makes sense. Like, obviously they're not going to be identical, but I feel like you could end a song that same sort of similar way to really bring, you know, finale, a closure to the album. Um, Whereas like the rest of the song to me is, it's kind of fine, but yeah, it just sort of like, it's just sort of, I don't know, feels like it's stuttering its way through the song a little bit, but yeah, um, it's not the smoothest progression, I guess. And, and I mean, that's not, that's not a requirement for anything. That's just when, when the song, like if that song was the seventh song on the album, I'd still have the same feeling where I'm like, ah, it's a little too like kind of, uh, like, a little jumpy. Yeah. Jumpy start stoppy, like, you know, kind of for me, but, um, but yeah, it's, I think it does again, it was 18 songs. It's, it does a fine job closing the album out. I do appreciate that they like made sure that the album felt like it was over, you know, like the way that song ends, you're like, yep, that's the end of the album, you know, um, not, not the song ending abruptly or whatever. And then you're just like, is there another song? I can't remember. And then you awkwardly wait and then you pull your phone out and you're like, oh, right. I got to start, you know, I got to hit play again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, and I think, 
you know, it's one of those instances where they're maybe trying to be a bit maybe more technical where it's not necessary. So just right. with the jumpiness, you know, or they're like where drums kind of stop or go to a little tom part and come back in. And yeah. Anyways, yeah. I, you know, for the year and the recording gear, they, I'm guessing they had that. Yeah. It, it was good for that. I love, like I said, like to wrap up our discussion on, on their self-titled record, sonically i actually really enjoy listening to the record for whatever reason like there's nothing it's funny because there's nothing that's like stand out about it you know it just i was like yeah it's just easy to listen to and maybe it just sounds like a lot of records from that time and so in that sense you know my ear is just attuned and comfortable with it um but yeah i i enjoy putting it on and will probably continue doing so. I mean, not at the regular rate that I've been listening to it recently, but you know, I think it could easily find its way back into a semi-regular rotation. So yeah, uh, yeah. Let's get on to the next record, which came out in the year 2001. Uh, they survived Y2K oh, by the skin of their teeth because just they really, barely. just <laughs> barely, they really had to hang on and wait uh, until the year 2001 before they could drop an, another record. It's called More to See. Um, let's get into the artwork real quick. I'm going to be brutally honest. I hate the artwork on this record. <laughs> yes. It is like, I don't get it. I don't, I mean, I don't have liner notes in front of me to know like who was behind it, but like the, like half of a baby's face and just like terrible font choice. It's just all around. I kind of go, ugh. I suppose in a way it's, it's memorable, but not necessarily in a good way, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't typically like when an album cover is basically very blatantly explaining the title or it's just like more to see. It's like, okay, half a baby looking like, (laughs) I I don't know. It just seemed like whoever did it didn't have the kind of creativity. Maybe we're missing something, but I I I always remember when it came out, I was like, really this, like for like a punk band, this just kind of looks like it's like a lullaby album or it's a share cover or something. A share cover back to bringing <laughs> it back to share. Share even had better covers, man. Come on. Um, yeah, I, I, I've never understood it. Um, and you could be right. Maybe we're missing something, but I'd rather be missing something and still think the artwork looks cool than be missing something and going, yeah, but it still looks stupid. Like it's still, maybe that's a bad word. It just looks very black to me, right? Like, well, especially um, in an age of cool record covers, like, right? <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe they were just really wanted to stand out and they really didn't want it to look like another skate punk album. So if that's the case, yeah. well, then they, then they yeah, definitely like, uh, hit the goal. Like I said, it's memorable. Um, maybe not like, kind of like this. Uh, I'm, I'm currently drinking a coconut pineapple bubbly. Um, which I guess pina colada, which is memorable, but not necessarily in a good way. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I, it's, it's one of those flavors where I'm like, that's a thing. All right. You know, but, um, I think going back to more to see, I do think there are some missteps on this record and it kind of starts with the cover. Uh, so like that's, that's just kind of a, a generalization, not a bunch of missteps. Cause I think all in all, I do like this record. Yeah. Um, but there are there are definitely some some spots on the record that I don't think age too well. Um, but let's get into it. It's definitely you know like it's a maturing of their sound um, for better or worse. I think like it sounds like you know a band that's been doing it for a little bit now. Um, 
there are some pretty solid songs on here, but again, there are also some forgettable ones or ones that maybe didn't age well. Uh, as a whole, it kind of feels like uh, a record that lives in, you know, that MXPX, the ever passing moment world where these like faster tooth and nail punk bands are now kind of like following an MXPX's slow or slow steps, footsteps by slowing some of their songs down a little bit. Like, uh, Goatee Hook obviously did it famously. Um, uh, uh, who else did it? Uh, Slick Shoes kind of did it. I feel like Craig's brother sort of oh, did yeah, it a little bit. Them, yeah. Yeah. The Undecided doing it here, obviously in, in a different way. Squad 5.0 did it. They, they just got into glam rock a lot. But, yeah. But you know, so like there is this sort of thing where, you know, we talk about on the previous record, the self-titled one, I mean, you mentioned it, it's not all like blazing fast, but it does feel a lot more driven as a punk record, as opposed to maybe like an alternative rock record that has some punk leanings. Right. Um, Yeah. yeah. I feel like this album, if it was like their third or fourth album, Mm -hmm. but that it just jumped, like you said, with the MXPX ever passing moment. I mean, that was their, uh, yeah, they've been around a while. Fifth album already, right? Yeah. So it was kind of like almost expected and almost refreshing. Yeah. Versus this is kind of like oh, like already it's. And I mean, this is <laughs> already you know, like you yeah. know many years after. I don't know that I can recall feeling this like any kind of disappointment mm-hmm. or anything with this. Like I was really excited for a follow up and got to see them a bunch live on this cycle. Um, like the album is definitely more rock influenced even just the guitar yeah. tone is less chunky and just some of the song like uh composures i guess and and i know they did go with a different producer with this one um, i'm blanking on the guy's name i think he was a canadian guy um mm. something king maybe but anyway so i don't, I don't know. i mean and maybe we talked about this when i interviewed dan on the podcast because I'm, I'm sure i would have brought up just a little bit of the change or whatever if they were getting kind of pushed yeah. their sound or it might have just been the classic like you know we've been touring a lot on that album we're sick of those kind of songs we want to write something a bit different so yeah. i mean good on them for kind of pushing it but i would have liked to have some more elements in the last album on this one i will say like when you know when bands do that uh, that's a, a thousand percent their choice and absolutely fine um and sometimes i think it works out just fine. Other times, you know, a, a band kind of falls on their face for lack of a better term, like with a record where it's just like, yeah, that doesn't translate. And I will, I will say this about more to see is I don't think it falls in either camp. Like, I don't think it's like a change that was made that resulted in an incredible record, but it's also far from a change that was made that resulted in just a terrible record. Right. Like, yeah, definitely. It's, it's it's fine. I do think uh, some of these songs lyrically kind of hold up fairly well, which we were sort of alluding to a little bit in talking about the self-titled record. But some of these songs definitely feel pretty Sunday school yeah. uh, for a band of adults at that time. I mean, I don't know what time or wh- how old they were, uh, but, you know, if they I think they when I was reading up on them, they formed as a band initially in like 94 or something and then put out a demo a couple years later. And, then, you know, they've been going for a little while. So. Uh, and another thing with this record, the songs, the length of them, they definitely got longer, like four yeah. songs on this record break the four minute mark. And only two of them are under three minutes. Like everything else wow. falls in that three and a half yeah. to four minute kind of song length. Whereas like on, uh, on the undecided, the self-titled record, it was a lot more of a, uh, 
minute and a half to two and a half minute thing, <laughs> you know, like they're all pretty quick. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, so shall yeah. we get into the opener? Let's do it. All right. So the opening song, if I can find my mouse, is called The Youngest Son. <laughs> kind of take the lead on jumping out of the songs on this uh, since I got to do the picking on this record and I will start by saying that this as an opener is pretty meh to me um, it's it's a fine song but it feels a lot more like it should be say in the middle of the album kind of as a bit of a break or maybe a bonus track that was released with a deluxe edition sort of thing like something that was left on the cutting room floor or whatever um, like I, I I like the opening riff of the song, 
Um, but it doesn't get me excited to listen yeah. to the record, right? Like it's just sort of this, okay. It, it is interesting because it does, um, like I will say like it's mid tempo pace kind of drags you into the song a little bit as, as opposed to kind of like pushing you into the song, if that makes sense. And this style of guitar riff that John Paul Peters plays uh, on this song really is all over the record. Like these sort of like palm muted semi melodic riffs. Um, it's really, it's really kind of interesting because I felt like as far as like the riffs, the lead lines were concerned on, on the previous record, they were kind of a lot more flowing and here and there. And, you know, they just kind of felt um, more sort of straight up. Whereas on this record, he gets a lot into like, so on that opening riff when he's just like playing that, but he's like doing it all like palm muted and then unmuting and whatever that particular style of riff, it shows up in numerous places on this record. And I do for the most part, enjoy it. Um, this song, I just think as the opener, it kind of sort of, uh, is not the best way to introduce the album. Maybe having said that, I do think it's got some solid melodies and hooks. Uh, and I do think the solo in the song actually works pretty well, which I, you know, oftentimes harp on solos, but I think the solos on this record work, uh, in this song in particular. Um, and yeah, it introduces like that common theme of the palm muted guitar riffs. But, you know, as an, as an opener, it's definitely a, uh, all right. What about you? Yeah, I'm yeah, the same. I, I am not a fan of, of the guitar tone. Sorry, John Paul. It's just too, <laughs> too thin and kind of twangy. Just, it doesn't have that, that energy. Like it almost sounds like it should just be a, you know, if that riff was just a bit slower, it'd be like a Jimmy Eat World where, you know, sure, yeah, they're yeah. not really going for a punk sound. And so, I mean, and maybe they just really weren't on this, but yeah, I don't know. It, it just doesn't have the energy for me. But I, I do enjoy the song overall, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know if it really sets the tone. Yeah, like I said, the, uh, the guitar solo in there is like it's just enough to add to the song, not take away from it. Yeah. Um, as far as picking a different opener, like, even song two for me, you know, has a little bit more drive than the first one. Yeah. Um, I don't really have any specific notes or reasons why. Just when it goes to song two, I'm like, okay, this kind of gets me into it a bit more. Well, let's let's take a brief, quick listen because a brief, quick. Yeah, I said it uh, because it's also the song that I picked as the alternate opener. So we'll we'll listen to it. And then uh, I do have a few little thoughts on it as to why I think it would make for a much better opener. But anyways, the song is called Lifted. Yeah. 
What a song! <laughs> yeah, I mean, that part goes a little long. It does longer than it needs to, but it, it, it in that respect, it, like that we're talking about the end of that song. In that respect, it could almost serve as a closer. The way it kind of like sort of yeah uh, stretches itself out. But um, as far as being an alternate opener for me, like that opening riff is absolutely just like right there and says let's go right like i'm surprised there isn't a let's go in there because it just starts immediately and uh the the guitars i think are just interesting through the entire song there's different riffs that happen at different times that and each one of them is like dang that was cool like you know how sometimes it can feel like oh you just have another riff because you felt like putting in another riff uh in in some songs this song every riff is just like almost feels in a way like it's either trying to outdo uh, the last riff in kind of catchiness or coolness or whatever, or like, it's just trying to like um, bring in like all these different sort of influences. Because when I said that, you know, that first song felt, or when I was talking about like the record kind of feeling like it lives in a post, uh, um, a post ever passing moment world. This one feels a lot more like it's living in, which got to understand what I'm saying by this, I guess, but in a post enema of the state world, like his guitar work on this song, especially like that towards the end, or maybe even, well, I guess this is pre take off your pants and jacket, but, um, but like that end there with the dun 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 dun, like he's doing like these very Tom DeLonge sort of guitar parts to my ear anyway. And then there are other ones that are just like, out of left field that are kind of awesome. Um, 
but yeah, all in all, I just think like it brings way more energy to start off the record if they'd put this one first than uh, than the youngest son. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I j- I honestly think it's a great a great song, and it's one that I could like put on we we kind of referenced in past episodes about like songs if you're to put a, a song on a playlist from this band um lifted is one that i would uh i might lean into which is funny that i didn't pick it as one of my songs because i have a reason why i picked the song i picked but unless you had any thoughts you wanted to share on lifted we can uh, get into my my next pick yeah go for it all right so the next pick then is uh the song cries for jubilee <laughs> kind of brings back that sort of palm muted guitar riff thing i was telling you about like the the intro of this song actually reminds me a fair bit of the intro for the youngest son like it's it's kind of similar in in style to me 
Um, but what I really love about this song and the reason I chose it is because this out of all the songs on the record is one that will randomly pop into my head. That whole part where they sing, we don't need, uh, we, we don't want your American Jesus like that, that part where it's like the gang vocal and yeah, kind of out of cool nowhere. Part. It's super catchy, uh, super hooky. And uh, from the first time I heard it, because I think because it sort of just like happens, it, you know, it doesn't happen again in the song and it doesn't really feel set up. Like it's going to happen. It just, it's, it's as if they had this part. We don't want you making Jesus that bit. And they were just like, let's just slap this in the middle of a song somewhere is almost what it feels like, but it just works so well. I think because the, the part is so, you know, kind of catchy. Um, the guitar solo again, I think is all right. It's pretty all right. It works. Yeah. And, um, similar to money buys democracy that you picked off their last record. Uh, I think it's an interesting look at, uh, capitalism, especially capitalism in evangelicalism. Like they sort of were doing this, uh, this thing like that, that's there's, I would say there's kind of a, a microscope on the evangelical church these days, uh, you know, warranted for a lot of stuff that has come out over the years and whatnot, but for them to be kind of like, shining that spotlight, putting that microscope, I feel like on it back in 2001 or even in 1999, like it's pretty, it's pretty impressive to me, um, that it still feels like a song that, uh, is relevant today. Uh, and, uh, and what the, the song really boils down to though, is the sing-along part. Like I said, it gets stuck in my head and will just pop up randomly and and i mean it's why i picked it because i definitely wanted to talk about this song and it just being a song that when i when i heard it in you know the summer i want to say it was this record must have come out i didn't look at the release date but it must have been like summer of 2001 or spring of 2001 because i feel like i remember listening to it a ton uh between uh the the summer between that would be summer after grade 11 is that right? I feel like it was earlier than that, but uh, I don't know. Anyway, because it did come out in 2001. I can yeah, remember. Been... Speci- yeah. So that's, that's the mm-hmm. summer 2001 to 2002 is when I graduated. So yeah, it would have been after, uh, after grade 11, but um, yeah, it's a, uh, it, it caught my ear then and it catches my ear now. Yeah. Well, my thoughts are very similar to that. I, I do like that opening riff. Again, it feels like just like a, a punkier version of a, a Jimmy Eat World riff or something if it was just slowed down more. Um, yeah. But I do like that it, it just has more energy to it. You can kind of feel it. And then when the, the fast drums come in, it almost mm. – uh, it's like it's almost like the guitars and the drums don't quite match, but it, it works and it's right, intentional. Yeah. Like there's something where it's – you know it, you. I might think as a drummer, be more halftime, like, but when you go to the fast, it's, there's a, there's a song in the new, um, or the newest for your strong where it kind of does that too, where it's, I mean, I think with that one, like the guitar is in a different timing, like different timing, but the drums are still in four, four, but anyways, it just made me think of that where it, you know, and it intentionally kind of makes the dysfunction work in a way. Right. Anyways, that was a weird ramble on that, but. No, I, 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 that definitely jumps out because I do, I know when that, when that intro, uh, comes on. Okay. This is hilarious also. Um, so, cause, okay. I got to talk about this first. So when that intro riff is playing, 
I do feel like I'm about to be dragged into uh, uh, the youngest son again. And I don't want to keep harping on that song, but I mean, you hear it every time you start the album, right? So I feel like I'm going to be dragged into that song again. And then though the drums come in and doing exactly what you're talking about, it feels like they could easily come in at that like halftime. Um, or I guess it would almost probably be more because maybe the drums come in and they're going double time, you know, so like going actual time, <laughs> you know, just feels like that's what you could do. But instead they come in like, right. And they're just like, okay, we're going to play a punk beat now. Um, it is what it is, but I, I do think it kind of then signifies to me that, okay, we're, this song is going a different direction. Uh, we're not just getting brought into another mid tempo sort of, uh, okay song. This yeah. is doing something a little different, but what I was going to say, um, about what I was saying was so funny is cause you keep, you, you keep talking about it being like a Jimmy world, um, uh, a Jimmy world sort of riff. Right. And so I was just trying to see, cause I, I, I want to say you are comparing it to the middle by Jimmy world would be my guess. Just that sort of palm muted, uh, lead riff that's in that song. So what's funny is that the undecided released more to see on July 19th of 2001. So it was summer of 2001 yeah. cool. and uh bleed American by Jimmy world came out July 24th, 2001. Ooh, <laughs> wow. They came out very similar times, only five days Ooh. apart from each other. I don't know when the song, the middle came out, however, like that maybe, you know, as a single, I don't remember if that was pre or post the release of that album, but, um, research would do me good maybe one day when we do a jimmy Eat world episode we can talk about how all these riffs sound like undecided riffs <laughs> Man, that's that's where they got all the inspiration from yeah a hundred percent but yes that american jesus part also always reminds me <laughs> yeah. of bad religion uh i believe i'm pretty sure they have a song called american yeah. jesus don't they um and so I, I i've often wondered like in hearing this song if like did they just take that inspiration from there and they like heard that song one time and there or more than one time. They're like, man, I like that. The way that sounds American Jesus. Like I got to use that in a song. I don't know. Um, I don't know. But anyway, let's get into uh, the closer of the album. Shall we? Yep. It is a song called a thought away.
I think first and foremost, I'll say this. Uh, fade outs are a great way to end an album. <laughs> uh, the, the whole point is you want people to keep on singing and humming along. So no yeah. better way to do that than to fade it out and then go, I should start this record over again. Uh, also songs about death or saying goodbye, classic ways to close out an album as well. Yeah. Um, more Paul muted guitar riffs than dang Jimmy world riffs to start off the song. Like part of me feels like with this record, uh, I should say, okay. So as a closer, I think this song works on the album. It's fine. Um, I feel like John Paul, uh, was introduced in some way, shape or form to the idea that when palm muting on a guitar, you don't just have to go straight, you know, eighth notes or anything like that. You can kind of like syncopate it a little bit. You can, yeah. you know, going back, cool. going back to that, uh, on the song lifted, uh, as my alternate opener and comparing it, you know, to like Tom DeLonge sort of guitar work, that is like, that's where I first was kind of introduced to that. That idea was Tom DeLonge on like every bridge of every Blink-182 song. It felt like on Enema of the State where he would do this, like this palm, you'd be like, dun, 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 you know, like instead of just dun, 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 dun he would, he would yeah. be like breaking him up. Um, and uh, so I, I don't know if that's like what's going on here, but it's all over this record where whether it's like kind of those syncopated different you know chopped up palm mutes or the palm mutes in the middle of like melodic riffs that we've heard on literally every song we have featured pretty much uh, from this record they are all over the place some are definitely better than others which is what is so funny to me about why i would like to know why they picked the youngest son as their opener because again there are similar ideas all over this record that i just think are done better and th this would be an example of that even though i think it clearly makes a better closer than it would have an opener uh but getting into the song once it gets going again after that opening riff it's just like yeah the guitars sound a little more menacing maybe on this song yeah. um a little a little moodier which i think again fits kind of the the lyrical content you know talking about someone passing away and whatever so uh it all works across the board for me on this song my only so yeah, I agree with with all of that. Yeah, I like the you know those fast drums, that cool palm muting. I had that as a note too. Again, yeah, seems fairly Blink influenced that, but um, a lot of other bands didn't seem to be picking up on that as much. My only complaint with this song is the guitars and the chorus are a little too rock sounding for me. Mm. Um, just that see your face like just that little <laughs> yeah, thing yeah. like ah, it's a little too like. I don't know. Too <laughs> I mean, twangy to, and yeah. I say to be fair, the uh, the guitar solo he harmonizes the guitar parts, which definitely gives it like a like a seventies kind of you know Boston or maybe even like a cheap trick vibe where like the the harmonized guitar solos where it can be like it's kind of cool, but at the same point I'm like it it very much has a specific kind of dated sound to it. Yeah, it's a little too arena rock for my liking. Yeah, but, but that's I mean. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I'm sure he had those kind of influences as well, but I just don't like that that's on the closing song because as it fades mm. out, it's kind of re replaying that riff, yep. you know, with yep. like a synth or something kind of going in the background. But um, so, yeah, otherwise, I like it as a closing song, just not yeah. that riff. Like, yeah, no, I think I can. Uh... I think I can agree with you on that. So why don't we uh, get into some closing thoughts on the undecided? I would say musically, these both these records I think hold up fairly well. 
production wise. Like, I mean, there are some choices or some, you know, maybe sounds that, you know, you appreciate more on one record than the next, but um, I don't think either of them really feel dated as we just spoke about in their sounds or anything like that. Uh, And then while, you know, like the growth in dynamics from, the self-titled record to uh, more to see is, is something that like, it makes for a more interesting listen maybe on more to see, like there's kind of a bunch of different stuff going on. I think if I had to choose one of these two records to listen to more often, I would actually uh, go with the self-titled record because it's just, it's just a lighthearted fun. Listen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If either of these albums comes on, I'm, I'm not mad about it. I will gladly listen to both. There's always something I can, take away from it um yeah i would go with the the self-titled one as well um yeah even just as i'm thinking you know of other tooth and nail punk bands of this time like there were some that definitely didn't have two albums back to back that were were good yeah um and so i think they were able to shift their sound you know just enough to to show that they had matured or whatever learned or shared some different influences but it wasn't so foreign um, like maybe some other bands where you kind of lost your listeners. Um, sure. Yeah. So yeah, good on them for, for being able to do that. Yeah. I think it's safe to say we are not undecided on which is our favorite undecided record. I got to get going <laughs> here. So, uh, <laughs> just all yes. right. Well, with that, <laughs> since Aaron's got to get going, uh, we are going to wrap it up. So, uh, wherever you're listening again, go subscribe to the show. Uh, you can tell your friends about the show as well. If you like what you heard, uh, go check out past episodes. If this is your first time hanging around and, uh, go follow us on social media at growing punk pod on Twitter and Instagram. You'll find our personal stuff linked there as well. So with that, uh, sayonara. And if you do want more info, you can go back, way back, and listen to our interview with Dan to get all the stories that we missed somehow. Much Just love. Peace. Walked all over the outro. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had that thought. I was like, oh, I just went. <laughs> you know what? I got to go. I'm out of here. You, you, yeah. yeah we, all, we all got to go. Everybody listening has got to go. Okay. Over. It's over. Okay. We're so never recording that. Bye.